This is The Bridge, episodic audiobook podcast by Jared Morris and Brian Clymer, read by the authors. Episode 5. Crow Agency, Montana. Sarah was happy to be back in her Airbnb when a notification rang on her phone. It had been an exceedingly long day. Because of the investigation, her trials were postponed until tomorrow. She looked over the registration sheets to get an idea of what to expect. Several of the participants would be absent or unavailable. They'd be removed from the trial, and their stipend would be canceled due to non-compliance. Of the 34 people who were due for a second shot, 12 patients did not reply to the phone survey. Six said they were spooked by the reports of blood clots from another unrelated vaccine, but would most likely take part. Two were ill, claiming adverse side effects to the first dose. Sarah would be required to visit them at home in the morning. Four were unaccounted for. Well, three were. One was deceased. When she got a message from Chief Archer, she was slightly miffed. She just wanted to go to bed and fall asleep to whatever boring things she could find on YouTube. She'd gotten used to falling asleep to live aquarium videos. They were very calming. She was partial to the Monterey Bay jellyfish cam. There was something prenatal about going to sleep with the sound of water bubbling around you. The jellies were ethereal, otherworldly. Sarah, it's Chief Archer. You busy? I'm at my B&B. What's up? I need an outside opinion on something. Late dinner? But now that Archer mentioned it, she was hungry. She'd gotten used to ignoring the growling of her stomach. Eventually, she just forgot about it. About right then, a late dinner didn't sound like the worst thing on earth. Just a little unusual. Sarah gotten to know several at the Crow Agency Police Department. When she had to do those house calls, more often than not, it was the chief who accompanied her on the visits. Some of the residents were old and would not remember the athletic redhead in her early 30s showing up at their house for blood samples. Sometimes the trial participants didn't feel like coming to the appointment, but most of the time they simply had forgotten about it. It didn't occur to her that it might be seen as a date. Boo Boo was twice her age, and they were on strict professional terms. If nothing else, they had more of a father-daughter dynamic. The dinner request was very unusual. It was damned odd, in fact. There are a few burger joints near the Indian Bureau of Tribal Affairs and fast food restaurants down 14th Avenue, but none of those gave the privacy that Archer was after. Instead... The duo met at the Crow Cheyenne Hospital Cafe. Although food service ended at 6 p.m., they employed one cook who made three or four ready-to-eat meals for doctors and nurses who worked late. There's also a cold case with pre-made sandwiches, and the cook could use a flat top for burgers. Tonight, the menu is butter chicken, Indian tacos, vegetarian, and pasta carbonara. She opted for the vegetarian option, which seemed to be Rice and couscous with steamed vegetables, zucchini, peppers, an eggplant, and a sweet red sauce. It was not unlike a deconstructed ratatouille. It was, Sarah had to admit, damned good. Archer picked up the pre-made meatball sandwich from the cold case with a few garlic knots. When the cook offered to heat it up, Archer said, no, I'll eat it like this. The duo shared a booth near the far end of the room. I like these digs, Archer asked. She was surprised to be eating at the hospital cafe. 
She was even more surprised where Archer led the conversation. You ever notice that garlic bread isn't as good as it used to be? Sarah looked around the room, wondering if she was being pranked. I used to love it as a boy, he said. It was the best part of the meal. Now it's just so-so. I'm always disappointed when I buy it. He cast a plate of garlic knots aside. I'm sure you didn't ask me here to talk about garlic knots, Sarah offered. When was the last time you were down in these parts? This neck of the woods, Miss Adams, Archer asked. Sarah prickled at the formality of Miss Adams. When he sent the text, she was Sarah. These trials require a physical once a year. We try to do an in-person consult and review every six months, but I wasn't able to make it the last time because of the weather. It was a nasty winter. We try to make contact with patients via phone survey every three months, so the in-person isn't always vital, Sarah said. There are always a handful of patients on the six-month dose trial. Those people would be receiving a second shot. Contacting them was more important to the study. Does anything stand out to you? Do you remember anything about Steve Saunders? Archer asked. It was difficult for Sarah to say. When she told people she couldn't remember faces, they just assumed she was aloof. She gave a stock answer. I see about a hundred people on this particular jaunt. Things stand out about their personality, sure, but it's hard to remember everybody's face. Anything you could remember would be helpful, Archer said. Like I said, I'll try, she said. What do you know about CTE, Archer asked. As much as anyone, I guess, Sarah said. It's not that well understood. Uh-huh, Archer said. Indulge me, huh? Okay, it's a very rare condition that can only be diagnosed after death with an autopsy. It stands for chronic traumatic encephalopathy, and that just means anything that changes or alters the brain. I mean, alter in the way it functions or its structure. It's thought to be caused by repeated head traumas, like a boxer repeatedly getting his clock cleaned on a nightly basis. NFL players, professional wrestlers... In fact, it was first identified in boxers. It used to be called punch drunk, but she trailed off. Oh, you used to do like UFC, right? Listen, I'm not a doctor. I I can't diagnose you. You're really better off talking to an expert. I, I only have passing knowledge. Archer furrowed his brow and measured his words carefully. Okay, tell me about the symptoms. Sarah was feeling uneasy. She pulled a face expressing discomfort. Well, she said, I'm sure you read on WebMD, difficulty thinking, impulsive behavior, depression or apathy, memory impairment, emotional instability, suicidal behavior. I think those are the major ones, but like I said, you won't know until they cut into you. A lot of those symptoms could be symptoms of other diseases as well. What does your doctor say? Archer studied the lines in her face. This is a new and small police force, Sarah, Archer said. We don't have the same resources as other agencies in the state. We're resented by state agencies, like the highway patrol, since they cannot operate on any reservation. In the case of a major crime, the FBI takes over. But only if they care to. Many times, we're ignored. 
Sometimes we need to turn to the public for help for solving a crime or crimes. He handed her a manila folder that had been sitting on a chair next to him. By handing you this, I'm taking you into strict confidence that you won't share these details unless it's necessary to do so. Can I trust you? I think I can. Can I trust you? He asked. Sarah opened the folder and leafed through the photocopy documents. Towards the end was a rough photocopy of a CT scan of a brain. How'd you get these so quickly? Archer gave her a motion with his chin that said, keep reading. Scans suggest chronic brain damage, patient history, chronic depression, suicide attempts, insomnia, and paranoia. These scans are a few months old, uh, Archer said. Steve is a, he corrected himself, Steve worked out at my gym once in a while. Steve was having severe headaches. He thought that he probably needed glasses or something, but the doctor recommended that he get an ACE, an acute concussion test, Sarah said. She flipped to another page and landed on the scanned photograph of Steve Saunders. Holy cow, she said, I do remember him. I'm not good with faces, but I remember certain details. I remember that someone had a very elaborate neck tattoo. It reminded me of a wildcat when I first saw it. It looked like the Nittany Lion. Does this kid live here? Not, Archer said. But he did come here to gamble, and he was training at my gym in his downtime. So what are you asking me, Sarah asked. Do I think this guy's death is your fault? I don't know. I, I don't know if anybody could answer that. It isn't my fault, Sarah, Archer said coolly. Sarah was put off by his abruptness. Archer noticed her discomfort. I suppose I'm not being clear. He hadn't had his first fight yet. This boy was never hit, at least not in a sanctioned contest. Sarah was skeptical for several reasons. First, the particular brain scan that would show a CTE could only be done post-mortem, so any talk was purely speculative. She was sure Archer was aware of that. The ME's notations claimed that there were no anomalies present in Saunders' brain. There was no way that there was enough of the brain to make the determination. From the little she saw, Steve Saunders wouldn't be having an open casket viewing anytime soon. Surely Archer noticed this too, but if he had, he didn't mention it. Before handing the folder back, Sarah removed the medical examiner's report and flipped to the other side. It was signed with an illegible signature, that's par for the course, and dated. There was a privacy disclaimer on the back, next to which Sarah noticed a faint watermark. It was familiar to her, but she couldn't quite place it. She later described it as a, a hurricane that had little jagged edges sticking out. It reminded her of a circular saw blade. Inside was another circle with stylized letters P and S. Crow Agency, Montana flashback two weeks earlier. A small crowd gathered in the parking lot at the Twin Moons, 9.38 p.m. John Eaglefeather called 911 to report the disturbance. The following is a transcript of the 911 call. 911. 911, what's your emergency? It's that Saunders boy. He's out here raising hell about something. I'm sorry, sir. What is the location? I'm over at the Twin Moons. What's your name, sir? Damn it. It's John Eaglefeather. 
feather. Eagle feather. Okay, Mr. Eagle Feller. What is your emergency? Do you need medical assistance? No, damn it. I'm calling because there's a guy in the parking lot of the Twin Moons Casino getting his dome kicked in. <sighs> okay, sir. Who is he trying to fight? Roger that. Shortly after the arrival of officers Diego and Santiago, attracted by the flashing lights, Rosie drove by the scene slowly. She pulled in a lot that was little more than a grassy field when she recognized the vehicle of her brother's friend, Steve Saunders. Terry Arbor and Steve knew each other from school, and Steve had been over the house a few times. How the hell am I supposed to get home if you take my keys, Manny? Saunders challenged the police. It's Officer Diago, now Stevie. We're not in high school anymore. Saunders spit in the ground. Your department isn't even five years old. The only thing you serve and protect is the interest of cops he shot back. He clearly had been drinking or under the influence of some chemical. He'd been escorted out of the casino for suspicious behavior. The suspicious behavior included being in a trance-like state and excessive luck. No matter which machine he played, he kept winning. The staff suspected him of cheating and told him to leave. After all, these are just computers. shouldn't be too hard to trick, he said to the casino security. The officers from the Crow Agency Police Department confiscated his car keys. If you'd like, we could bring you back to HQ and... Give you a nice room for the night. Do you like iron bars, HBO, and a free continental breakfast? Fine. Let me get my shit out of the car, he said. This was a hard decision. If he had a weapon, things could go south quickly. I'll grab it, unlock the door, and tell me what you're looking for, Officer Diego said. Saunders said it was a big black tool bag in the back seat and his phone charger in the front. The officer handed him the bag and suggested that he skedaddle. And if you ain't got no place to go, Steve, find one. I don't want to see you in any more trouble tonight. Saunders didn't see the men following him. The police took his keys and left him in the middle of the res with a few thousand dollars from the slots. He didn't remember the attack, but when he came to, his stash of cash was gone, and he'd been bleeding from somewhere. He couldn't locate the laceration. He hoped it belonged to whomever jumped him. Rosie Arbor, a kind-eyed girl, stood in front of the cold case at the Trading Post convenience store. She was eyeing the different types of good humor ice cream treats. She was a nice girl. Friends would describe her as sweet, if not a bit naive. She had a baby daughter of just 18 months that she had to take care of by herself. The baby's father was a military man several years older than our sweet Rosie. When she showed up, at his place in Billings with a suitcase and a positive pregnancy test, his formerly doting demeanor became suddenly violent. He called her a slut, and he said that the baby wasn't his. He said she was just trying to trap him, that she wanted to steal his valor. If you think a guy like me, he said, could see a girl like you as anything more than a personal pocket pussy, you're dumber than you look. She cried, you were my first, Ronnie. He said that she was a liar and a whore. The coldness 
in his glare scared the hell out of her. Though the signs had been apparent, she chose to believe that he had transformed into a completely different person within a matter of seconds. She wondered how she could have been so wrong about a guy, from smug comments to criticizing her diet. The talking down to her and the age different were enough to make Rosie's friends go on red alert. Rosie chose to ignore their advice. Ron convinced her that her friends were just jealous. But yesterday, you said we was always in forever, she said. Dumb girl. That's all it takes to get those panties to drop. That shit's going to be worn out real quick. As he said this, he pointed to her lap and wrinkled his face in melodramatic disgust. If you just wanted to get your rocks off, why me if I'm so gross? Rosie asked. Sometimes to get over somebody, you just need to get under somebody, he laughed. So what, she asked. What was I, some kind of challenge? No, challenges are difficult. You're just easy. She decided to carry the baby to term. It wasn't the child's fault that she was the product of a liar and a manipulator. Rosie would love it and cherish it and give it the care she was never given. Shortly after, she made him aware of her delicate condition. He dipped. He left town, presumably to head back east, but he deleted his socials. Rosie told her friends that it was like he was dead. His coldness, however, did not change Rosie's welcoming and trusting personality. Rosie was heartbroken. He'd thrown her out in the proverbial cold. She'd been hurt, but she couldn't let that destroy her. She knows she wasn't supposed to give her baby sweets at 18 months old, but she had a craving for ice cream, and it seemed rude not to share. This was a chance to get some rosy time before she headed back to mom's to pick up the baby. She stopped at the trading post and bought a prepackaged ice cream sugar cone with chocolate and chopped peanuts. She sat on the wooden bench outside the door to the store. When she'd first given birth, she'd sit in the same bench, rock Allison, cradled in her right arm as she ate a nutty buddy with her left. Careful not to let the melted ice cream drip onto baby. It was a happy place. It may have been the last good feeling that she'd had. She didn't see the darkened figure lumbering down the road. But he sure as hell and hellfire saw her. Seattle, Washington. Eamon Farouk had a decision to make about whether or not she wanted to interview this Ray character... On her show. Her popular YouTube show, Eamon's World, had become her sole source of income, and that meant she had to keep the show coming. She briefly considered pre recording it, not doing it live in case things went awry, and this guy was obviously a fraudster, but she decided to risk it. My subs would think there was something up, like, I was in on it, or I was being cowardly. A lot of the messages said they liked the show that was live. Well, mostly live. It could be live on tape, she thought to herself. I remember some TV shows advertises that, but how could something be live on tape? I think it means very little to no editing. Warts and all, you'd say. But no, she'd do it live or not at all. Afterwards, she wondered why this was such a sticking point. Such an inner debate. 
anytime that she did a show abroad, it was always taped and uploaded later so that it would drop during the appropriate time zone. In fact, every show that she did live, the archived copy had a shit ton of editing to tighten it up and put slots for ads. But for some reason, she felt she needed to do this one live, whether the end result was amazing or a disaster. From downstairs, sounds of pots and pans echoed throughout the house. The earthy aroma of a curry was hanging about the air. Her nanny was cleaning up after dinner. At least Damon hoped that's what her nanny was doing. Huma. Sometimes Huma would wordlessly begin making another supper after they'd finished supper. She'd start doing the exact same thing she had done a few hours earlier, step by step, all over again. It was fine. Eamon would also eat it the next day, but it was obviously odd. The vaccine healed Huma's body, but something was wrong with her mind. She was running on empty. No, not empty. Autopilot. Eamon had a theory. The vaccine healed all wounds, slowed down the aging process, and allowed a person to live well beyond the average human lifespan. However, what if the body and mind, and perhaps even the soul, were designed to exist in sync? Meaning that even though a person's body was physically healthy, their brain and mind still grew old and tired and confused, the mind and soul were stretched too far. Thin, Eamon thought, like butter scraped over too much bread. If so, is that person still that person? Or just a meat puppet being powered by the last sparks of an old broken-down brain? What it all boiled down to was Huma still human or something else. Eamon didn't want to believe this. Her nanny was her only family. She never knew her father. Her mother passed away when Eamon was nine. They said that the early passing was caused by coronary heart disease, which had been the leading cause of death in Pakistan. It was a convenient explanation, sure. Heart disease. Heart disease after sexual assault. She didn't even make a formal accusation. The police already decided that this woman is lying. In Pakistan, there's still a stigma to reporting rape and other sexual assaults, and they are rarely prosecuted. Even in the cases of murder and honor killings, a lot of times, it's swept under the rug. Or never looked at at all. Huma remembered reading about the case of Mukhtar Anwar in the 2010s. She was gang-raped as a form of punishment by the tribal council. Her brother had been abducted and raped. When he spoke out about it, the council accused him of raping a married woman. To repay his debt, they committed adultery on her brother. Since he was not married, they instead gang-raped Anwar. The local tradition in the area called for Anwar to then kill herself. Only then would the debt be settled. The debt for reporting gang-rape of a 14-year-old boy. Ghastly. She had to flee the country and become a human rights activist. Eamon's mother was very political and very outspoken. She rubbed a lot of people the wrong way, but the truth is... Eamon would never really know about her mother's death. It was, in part, what fueled her own activism. Eamon loved America, though. She somehow was never a victim of bullying or racism. Lots of misogyny and unwanted advances, though. Because of her 
natural outgoing personality in high school. She had a diverse group of friends and was popular. Her nickname amongst her friends was Hyman, which was usually meant not cruelly. It was mostly just friends teasing each other with dumb nicknames. People outside her circle were prohibited from using it. After high school, she and a group of friends drifted apart as you do. Eamon got into gaming, social media, and eventually tried her hand at becoming an influencer. Why not? She made videos just talking about her day and funny stuff happened. That soon uh, grew into actually having guests on her show, local artists, writers, really anyone that wanted to come on that wasn't a creeper or totally toxic. The show grew in popularity, largely because her thumbnails always included clickbaity pictures of her looking or dressing provocatively. Heyman was able to make some decent money from advertisers, but not enough to buy a house. But that was fine. She liked living with her nanny. But does nanny still live with me, she wondered. Heyman decided to Google Ray Linquist. The first result was... Ray Jagendoff, born January 23rd, 1945, American linguist, professor of philosophy. Eamon mm, said to herself. She scrolled further but saw no results for a person named Ray Linguist. She scrolled up to the first result, Mr. Jagendoff. Something caught her eye, besides his last name. Awards Fellow of the American Association for the Advancement of Science, Education, Massachusetts Institute of Technology. Huh, Eamon thought to herself. Maybe this rail linguist is a fan of Mr. Jackendorf, and the pen name is a tribute. She once again weighed the pros and cons. Pros, if he's legit, it would be major breaking news. It could lead to help for Arnani, and of course, fame and fortune would not be unpleasant. Cons, the guy's a fraud, yet even so, she could have maybe have some fun trying to turn chicken shit into chicken salad. Fuck it, Eamon decided. We'll do it live. Crow Agency, Montana. Danny almost jumped to the roof when he heard the mechanic clacking on his passenger side window. He started. Just then, he saw the source of the sound. Officer Manuel Santiago flicked on his surefire police-issue flashlight. The LEDs blazed at a thousand lumens. Santiago rapped on the window again, this time with gloved knuckles. At first, Danny was confused. He'd never been approached on the passenger side by a cop, yet there were several advantages to this approach. Depending on where the vehicle is located, it can help keep the officer out of the line of danger from other traffic. It can also add an element of surprise to a stop and it can give an officer a better view inside the interior of the vehicle. Danny was all too familiar with the tapping on the window and what that meant. However, unaware he was holding his breath, Danny fumbled around the driver's side door panel to find the switch to roll down the windows. Aware of talking too much and being somewhat in shock, Danny rolled down the window and looked at the officer. They exchanged an uncomfortable moment of eye contact. Officer Santiago took measure of Danny. License and proof of insurance, Santiago said. Danny stared at him mutely. Son, is everything okay? At this moment, Danny was frozen. His mind was completely blank. His subconscious mind said, please don't look in the fucking back seat. 
Tennessee. Waiting a painful 30 seconds for a response to his second query, Santiago straightened his gait. Another one, Santiago thought. But the sight of him putting his right hand on his service weapon gave Danny the encouragement he needed to snap out of it. Hey now, Danny said. I've been driving all night. I'm just a little tired, is all. Santiago narrowed his eyes and puckered his lips slightly. He was hyper-aware of the driver's odd behavior. He was trying to ascertain whether the driver was in trouble or if the driver was trouble. He wanted to get a better look at the interior of the vehicle. But he knew that if he took his eyes off the driver, even for a moment, it could be a fatal mistake. There were no laws in Montana related to police asking a driver to turn on the interior lights. So much of the time, they don't even ask. One of the first of its kind, New Jersey has a statute on the books where if a police ask you to turn on your interiors and you refuse, you can be fined 50 bucks. A lot of drivers will do it out of courtesy, a deflection, Santiago thought, but not this little shit. Does this thing's interior lights work? Santiago asked. Danny flicked on the overheads. Officer Santiago tensed. Danny grimaced. They both noticed that the vehicle interior was flecked with the unmistakable deep red of blood spatter. Danny and Santiago's eyes locked. Officer Santiago drew his weapon. Put your fucking hands on the wheel where I can see him and don't fucking move, fuckstick. Danny was shaking. He felt he was frozen to the core. Since he gave the girl his jacket, he was wearing only an oversized t-shirt. He'd asked the officers if he could grab a sweater. Of course, they declined. He was lying on his right shoulder on a wooded bench that pressed against the cold wall at the department's Stop Gap Mobile Jail. The department purchased several of these temporary detainment units to use until a new jail could be built. In reality, they were little more than shipping containers rigged with electricity and a small holding cell. It was stark. It was cold. His left arm was handcuffed to the bench. Danny thought this was excessive. Even if he wanted to run, where would he go? He didn't know that his Mustang had been towed to a local garage. Millman Motors had a contract with the county. Rather than having an impound lot, all vehicles involved in crimes uh, or were abandoned were taken to Millman Motors. They charged $79 a day for an impound fee. If a vehicle deemed to be abandoned, the car could be entered into an auction no less than 120 days from the tow job. It was very quiet where Danny was and very bright. It was not like the dim, atmospheric rooms in the police procedurals. This was an excessively bright chamber with nothing for Danny to do but wait. When he arrived, he was taken immediately to process. The police took his mugshot with a digital camera and took his prints. At least the printing procedure was now all electronic. No missy ink everywhere. Can I ask why you're holding me? He asked the fingerprint tech. I don't know nothing, kid. Straighten out your finger there, like that. Can I get a glass of water or a cup of coffee? My advice would be don't bother. Do you see a bathroom around here? She said. Danny found out from the arresting officer. 
Officer Raul Diego that he was to be arraigned on charges of inattentive driving but being held on suspicion of other crimes. What crimes? Danny asked. I know I got you for leaving the scene. The way you cut tail and ran out of the hospital, is that something an innocent man does? Diego said. I don't know what you want me to tell you, Danny asked. Why don't you start with the truth, Diego said. Danny wished he was more savvy in these areas. He knew he could probably just sit tight, but he felt an overwhelming need to talk. He wanted the weight off his chest. Uncuff me and we'll talk, Danny said, bargaining. Everyone talks, Diego said with a chuckle. As Archer entered the gym, he was greeted by the unconditional love of his dog, Koyahuga. He and Huga had an apartment above the gym. The gym was quiet tonight. He checked the security system to make sure everything was kosher, and he sat down in a large office chair behind a computer desk. He reached in the drawer, pulled out a treat for his buddy. He gave the treat to the dog and enjoyed how excited his friend got over such a small thing. I wish women were this easy to please, he thought wryly. When his phone rang, he was hoping it would be the hospital with news, preferably good news, but it was Raul Diego calling. He was surprised that Diego was working this late. Okay. Archer said to the phone after getting the report. Cut him loose. We have no reason to hold him. If he's a good Samaritan who was in shock, I think being handcuffed to a bench is a good enough punishment for his good deed. Send someone to get his car. Tell Mitch to bill me. Christ, what a clusterfuck. Before he clicked in, he added, Raul, have Manny tail the kid. It's not that I don't trust him. I just don't trust anybody who's not a crow. End. Officer Raul Diego led Danny Reyes into a large, furnished room towards the front of the station. The police were currently operating out of a converted museum. It was the master control room with several television monitors, computer equipment, and radios humming in the background. Danny could hear the radio chatter of police responding to a domestic disturbance in Gary Owen, a huge upgrade from the wooden bench and cold wall, Diego motioned for Danny to sit on a well-used couch. Situated at one end was a little portable ceramic heater. Take a load off, Diego said. How long have you been in town, Mr. Reese? He purposefully mispronounced it as Reese. A small power play to start negotiations. Just today, yesterday I was in Deadwood, Danny said. Well, shit, Diego thought. Whatever happened to that girl didn't happen in Deadwood. Danny explained that he was on his way to Billings when Nicole appeared on the road. His car did clip her and he panicked. He put her in the car with the intention of going to the hospital. Cell phone service was out and he, or he would have called 911. En route to the Crochet Inn Hospital, Danny saw a sign for a hospital that was off the old US-87 that was supposedly closer. The girl woke up, had a coughing fit in the backseat of the car. She had coughed up blood all over the car's interior. He took her to the hospital, helped her get into the wheelchair, then got the hell out of Dodge. About two miles from the hospital, he sat parked at a red light and got lost in his head as everything that had just happened came crashing down on him. Okay, what about Deadwood? 
Do you have any proof that you were there yesterday? The officer asked. No, I don't, Danny said. Wait, <laughs> but you do. I was stopped by a crazy cop outside of town. Is there someone you can call to check on that? Maybe. Do you remember this crazy officer's name? How could I forget, Danny said. His name was Downs. Oh, a beat. Him, Diego said. Okay, son, you sit tight. I got a few phone calls to make. There's a Keurig on that table. Help yourself. Diego went into the next room and began going through a stack of papers. He grabbed his phone and dialed the number of Boo Boo Archer. Danny was a mess. This is why it doesn't pay to do anything, he said aloud. With his adventures with the Crow Police Department seemingly in the past, Danny got into his car and started driving. He didn't really have a destination in his mind, but he knew within minutes that he should not be on the road. He pulled out his phone and decided he'd take advantage of the old traveler's secret sleeping in a Walmart parking lot. But was disappointed to find that the nearest supercenter was 47 miles away in Billings. I should have just gone to Billings. I never should have come here. I shouldn't even try, he thought. He clicked on stores and shopping in his phone app and found there was a truck stop slash travel center just a few minutes from his present location. The store boasted that it was clean and well lit. It had a subway, a small store, and even showers. He ignored the online reviews that called it, quote, a junk hole for truckers, two pumps if you're lucky. One reviewer said, it looks like the truck stop was built 200 years ago. That would be amazing, Danny thought, except time travel is impossible. There were no trucks 200 years ago. God, he was tired, mentally and physically. He gave it a shot anyway. How bad could it be? First, he grabbed a Red Bull and a bag of jerky from the convenience store. He debated not taking a shower because of the reviews, and $12 would be a lot for a car wash. It seemed even more pricey for a Danny wash. He caved and found the showers to be clean. The water pressure was just a few notches below sandblast, which was exactly what he needed right then. He let the hot water run down his chest. The smell of Irish spring soap gave him a serious sensory memory of home. It was his brand that his mom always bought. He was physically and mentally exhausted, but the shock of the day's event wouldn't allow him to sleep just yet. He didn't want to put his bare feet to the shower stall floor, so he put down the vinyl grocery bag. As he toweled off, he got the uneasy feeling, his spidey sense, he joked. In reality, he knew it was his other superpower, super anxiety. Super anxiety man. One man with the worries of ten men twice his size. Since he couldn't shake it, Danny decided that staying at the truck stop wasn't the best idea. He remembered seeing a Dollar General a few miles away. Dollar General, as his mom used to say. Well, it's not five stars, but the price is right, Bob. He said to no one. This is The Bridge audiobook podcast, episodic podcast, by Jared Morris and Brian Clymer. Episode 5. Next time, we're going to hear about what happened to Rosie Arbor. Why was she outside? Uh, 
without clothes on in the middle of the road, in the middle of the woods. We're going to find out also, is there some chicanery going on at the hospital? Well, Sarah's going to investigate, do a little bit of snooping, and we're going to find out more, find out what's happening with uh, this mysterious YouTuber, Eamon, as well. Lots of stuff coming up, and things are really starting to heat up here on the Bridge Audiobook Podcast. So I'll talk to you guys next time. Until then, this is Jared Morris for Brian Clymer. Really appreciate your time. If you like it, subscribe it, share it, and buy the book when it comes out. should be a few weeks uh, from now, not too long. And uh, again, it's my fifth book, so you can check out my other. This is my first uh, purely fiction book, though, and I wrote it with Brian. We also wrote a book called Save Us Morrissey about Morrissey, one of the, our favorite singers ever uh, as well. So you can check that out. My website's jaredmorris.com. Um, Jared Morris Radio on Facebook and at Jared Morris on Twitter and you can get in contact with the BEC with Brian through all that as well I'll, I'll get your messages alright more coming up here on the uh, episodic bridge audiobook podcast <laughs> this is Jared until next time good night god bless and good day sir I said good day sir see ya